Hey everybody, this is Chris. Uh, welcome to episode number nine of Chris's on Infinite Earths here at the Chris and Reggie channel. You can find episodes of this program every other Wednesday at chrisandreggie.podbean.com or at the all-new chrisandreggie.com. We uh, finally upgraded from our blogger home to, uh, to a domain, so uh, there's that. Uh, I want to start by uh, apologizing. I might be a little raspy this time out, uh, or it might come and go as we... Uh, as we proceed through the episode, it's uh, January in Arizona, which means it could be it could be 55 degrees, it could be 80 degrees. So, uh, kind of does a number on my allergies, and uh, we're in a we're in that phase of the uh, raspiness where I'm not sure if it's allergies or actual catching a cold. So, I'm uh, on a cocktail of uh, allergy and cold medication right now. So. We'll see how that goes. Hopefully it won't be too terribly noticeable. And uh, maybe by the end I'll actually just edit this little bit out. Uh, <laughs> uh, just swabbed with a Zycam thing. Those things are usually, they usually do the trick in, in either case. Uh, I recommend them, though they're, they're not uh, sponsoring the show. Though, you know, weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com if uh, anyone at Zycam is interested. Uh, today we're going to be discussing a book, actually an arc. We're going to be covering two books today. And it wasn't going to be this uh, this arc initially. Uh, I was actually planning on covering, uh, you know, keeping in tone with last time out when we discussed Young Justice number one. I was actually going to discuss Young Justice, uh, the Young Justice Teen Titans Graduation Day miniseries, because in addition to their uh, being a, a blog announcement uh, having to do with school in the uh, in the coming weeks, uh, it was also those posts were written when I was going out of town for my graduation uh, from college. And I had to go out of town, and it was uh, the first time I tried managing the blog uh, remotely, I suppose, uh, where I wasn't at my laptop or at my computer, where I could actually hit publish, so I had to kind of count on Blogger to uh, schedule the post, which is about a a 50-50 prospect uh, at best, uh, at least when I do it. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if I... uh, if I just do things incorrectly, it's a, it's, a, it's certainly a possibility. Uh, there was another episode we were planning on doing. Uh, I was going to have a guest on, uh, a buddy, my buddy Jody was going to come on to discuss an issue of Batman, and uh, that'll be coming either next time out or two times from now, depending on how our schedules jive. But the reason I wanted to discuss the arc we're going to discuss today, which is Green Lantern's Darkest Nights, and I want to do so because it prompted me to ask a question uh, to myself as it pertains to my analytical eye and uh, what might uh, catch my fancy and amend my perception of how I receive a book, uh, where I might give precedence and priority to certain aspects of a story or, or storytelling methodology where it's less about what's happening in the issue and the quality of the issue as a sum and more about maybe getting a continuity breadcrumb or two. Uh, it really made me uh, look inside myself to see just how unanalytical I can be, uh, despite, I don't know, I kind of view myself as being pretty analytical. <laughs> and this this uh, two-issue arc we're going to discuss really illuminated the fact that maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm just as beholden to what I want from a comic to where I can't be objective about a book's quality when when something feels like it's written for fans of my, as I said in the blog post, age and ilk. Uh, I'm a continuity guy, and when continuity gets mentioned, uh, 
makes me wonder if I throw my analytical side aside and just grade something purely on how much of my continuity it, it plays around in. And so I decided to push everything aside and take a look at this series because I think it'll be a, a fun little exercise for me and hopefully spur a little bit of conversation. Now, the reason why I looked at a, a book this recent to begin with is because uh, I really feel like I'm out of the loop on new stuff. Uh, when you're a content creator, and I, I've said this time and time again, and uh, I'm sure I will <laughs> time and time again into the future, but uh, when you do create content, uh, a lot of your, uh, based on things you read, a lot of the things you read become uh you have to justify reading them, you know, uh, they have to be used for something else down the line, be that a blog post or a, a podcast episode, you have to be able to repurpose it, is what I'm trying to say, and um, I haven't done a whole lot of reading for fun, and, you know, when when you're only a couple months out of the loop, it's not such a big deal, but uh, when I look back at uh, Rebirth, something I was very excited about going in, and I realize what precious little I've read of DC since Rebirth, I feel like I'm missing out. Um, not that I've heard spectacularly good or bad things about what's come. Uh, a lot of it sounds like, uh, you know, just treading water, to be honest. But uh, I still feel like I'm out of the loop. So I decided, you know, I'll just pick a random issue of uh, Green Lanterns. Uh, I'm familiar with both of the characters from their New 52 and, you know, Dark Side War uh, uh, versions or, or origins, I should say. And uh, I figured, why not? I'll give it a shot and uh, and see what's going on with them. And saw that Batman was on the cover too and thought that maybe uh, the angle I could go with is that this might be a good uh, gateway into uh, collecting or reading following Green Lanterns. Uh, as long as you have, you know, Batman there to <laughs> hold your hand if uh, these characters aren't uh, familiar to you, it might uh, it might ease the, uh, the transition into uh, following the book. So, uh... We'll get right down to the first part here. This is Green Lanterns number 16, has an April 2017 cover date. Story titled Darkest Nights Part 1, written by Sam Humphreys, pencils by Neil Edwards, inks by Jay Leaston and Keith Champagne, colors by Blonde, letters Travis Lanham, assistant editor Andrew Marino, editor Mike Cotton, group editor Eddie Berganza, cover price $2.99. Now we open in Gotham City, where we meet one fella who uh, appears to have lost his mind. He's wildly swinging a baseball bat, fearful that he is coming to get them. Now the he that he's worried about is, uh, of course, it's Batman. And wouldn't you know it, he was right. Batman swoops in and tries to calm the situation, tries to <laughs> wrestle this bat away from this fella. Just then, Green Lantern, Simon Baz, and, uh, or are we saying Simon Boz? I don't have Reggie here to answer me, so I'll just say Baz. Uh, and Jessica Cruz, they burst onto the scene, though if you were to ask Batman, he'd say they arrived late. They snare the mad fella in a construct glob so he can cool his jets and, uh, you know, not get beat up by Batman. After the dust settles, Commissioner Gordon pops in to expound on Gotham's present crisis. Now, it would seem that the most recent crime wave is rooted in fear. People seem to go from even-headed to maniacally panicked just as though they just had the stuffing scared out of them. So, uh, some instant mania here. You have Simon to the side going, Yeah, all right, let's go get the Scarecrow then. However, Batman isn't so sure. Actually, he's pretty much convinced it's not the Scarecrow that they're after. 
He believes that it's more rooted in the Sinestro core, and he even references the yellow rings that appear during Black as Night. So that means uh, Black as Night is still a thing that happened, I guess, and uh, I want you to remember that line because we're going to come back to that later. Uh, now, I guess the supposed Sinestro-ness of this explains why Batman would enlist the aid of, of Green Lanterns. Now, as the Bat and Baz bicker, uh, Gordon takes note of Simon's sidearm. Simon Baz carries a gun. And he's not sure why a Green Lantern would ever have to, you know, pack heat, because he's got the ring, right? Now, Simon explains to him that it's his backup, just in case his ring were ever to fail. Uh, he even refers to it as uh, the Robin to his Batman. And uh, <laughs> Batman doesn't appreciate that, and he even goes, uh, goes off on that whole not-in-my-town sort of a <laughs> thing there. And uh, before we know it, we're like waist deep in this big argument, uh, and it's it's like a very heated argument that it it doesn't feel like it warrants this amount of heat. Uh, but we will we'll talk about that later on as well. Now, Baz points out that so many of Batman's toys and gadgets are you know dangerous, as dangerous if not more dangerous than a gun, and he finds it laughable that a pistol would be you know the bridge too far for Batman. He then suggests that Batman might just have a problem with guns. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're really gonna go there. Uh, we're actually gonna get a little scene with the graves of Thomas and Martha Wayne. Just in case we forgot <laughs> that Batman's origin is rooted in his parents being shot down. Uh, now, uh, <laughs> you gotta figure, if you didn't know that, what are you doing reading a book with Batman in it? But, uh, now, anyway, Jessica turns her attention to the laptop that the mad fellow who was swinging the bat earlier was looking at before losing his marvel marbles. After using her ring-a-ling to work out his Windows 10 password, he dis she discovers that he was watching something called a Bad Batman video on some sort of a video site, like a YouTube-ish type site. Not really sure if this is a, like a commentary on all those like bad officer uh, videos that pop up these days, where you know someone has their phone out and they catch an officer doing something unsavory and decide to let it go viral, all that good stuff. Uh, but whatever the case is, these are videos that depict Batman as a threat to, uh, you know, to people's uh, personal lives, to, to just their, 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 their liberties, you know. Just uh, Batman is a bad presence in Gotham, basically. Now, the ring detects a disturbance in the emotional spectrum, which comes from the laptop itself. Batman suggests that this could be useful information, especially when the screen begins to glow yellow. We jump ahead to the Batcave, where Simon and Jessica act like kids in a museum. Batman continues his research when suddenly Alfred, who is watching one of those bad Batman videos over Batman's shoulder, Alfred goes nuts. He smashes a coffee cup into Baz's head and sucker punches him in the mush. Uh, Simon's sidearm flies out of his uh, holster, and which, you know, if you're a Green Lantern who carries a gun... You might want to have a better holster, right? I mean, if, if you can get punched and your gun goes flying, what good is having a gun, right? That, that just seems really, 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 really stupid. Uh, Alfred picks it up and he holds it against Simon's head. And he says if he sees even a flicker of emerald energy, he's going to pull the trigger. And he demands that nobody get in his way of killing the bat. Now, we shift scenes to a call center located in some abandoned retail or office space here. We meet a bunch of folks sitting in cubicles, and uh, they're be being given that Batman is a threat treatment via their computer monitors, and uh, it looks like their supervisor might be a little overqualified for this job, because it is the Scarecrow wearing a Sinestro Corps ring. 
All right, so I really, really dug that first part. Um, I did think that the characterization was a little off, uh, but here's the thing. <laughs> we get a call back to Blackest Night, okay? Um, I mentioned that we're going to come back to that, and, and we're about to, and we will again in a bit, too. Now, this is the confirmation that Blackest Night happened. Uh, I don't know where <laughs> it happened, but uh, it did happen at some point in time in DC's continuity, which at this point in time is pretty much all I need to, to consider that a win. Uh, during the New 52, we didn't know what happened, when something happened. Uh, from week to week, month to month, things... I mean, we we never got, like, a clarification from month to month if Doomsday killed Superman. Sometimes it was definitely did, and sometimes it was, okay, we're just not going to mention that because we can't fit it. And uh, the fact that we're actually calling out Blackest Night as an event, that tells me that it existed, at least for this month. But it was uh, enough for me to... Uh, to like it a little bit more, and we're gonna come around to that here in just a bit. Now, as this, as for this issue here, we have the Scarecrow as an agent of fear, which you know it makes sense, which is you know fine enough. Uh, the complaint I have about the characterization, the we get this very unsubtle dialogue between Batman and Baz here. It's it's I I refer to it as being almost so blatantly passionate that you can mistake it for a pair of old friends pretending to be mad at one another. It just seemed like two buddies trying to push each other's buttons and putting on a show for the people around them, you know? really struck me as unnatural. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm, you know, nearing on 40 years old. I've been in an argument or two in my life. And, uh, and uh, with friends and, uh, you know, associates or people who I know. Um, and in my experience, they're really very seldom these 0 to 60 situations like we get here. I mean... Uh, these guys just light into one another. It's very, very quick from just... I mean, we, we, we're the whole the whole uh, crux of this issue is people going from a stable state to a maniacal state. And it's almost how this argument goes. It really, it really didn't feel genuine, uh, is what I'm trying to say. It felt like uh, we were really trying to try too hard to show that there was animus between the two of them. And it really didn't work for me. Also, did we need the call back to the grave sites? I mean, really? I, I, do we not know that Thomas and Martha Wayne were shot dead? Eh. I mean, we only get a tiny little sliver of a panel, and uh, but still, it just seems so gratuitous. Um, and, and I imagine that anybody who's writing at DC, who, or who wants to write at DC, probably really, you know, digs the, the idea of being able to write, okay, now we're going to look at Thomas and Martha Wayne's uh, grave sites. I think that's probably a a thing that writers would love to be able to say that they did at least once. But, I mean, come on. If you don't know Batman's origin, you're probably not going to be reading a Green Lantern spinoff featuring Batman. It just seems weird. Unnecessary, kind of. And it even it even almost pulled me out of the story because I, I think I, I rolled my eyes <laughs> so far back I had to smack myself in the back of the head to get back to this here. And uh, that happened during the argument between Batman and Simon, which might have, you know, being yanked out of the story a little bit, might have actually made me take notice more to how unnatural the dialogue was between the two. And, you know, while I'm complaining, <laughs> something I, I generally complain about, though I don't think I've done it here on the show, is we really need a return to style guides, you know? Uh, 
we spent like the better part of a decade not knowing what Captain Marvel over at Mar- uh, Carol Danvers' hair length was. You know, every issue it was she had a different hairstyle and a different costume almost, and uh, and nobody mentioned anything. It didn't become a running gag, which is silly in and of itself, but it just. It's just, it shows such a lack of continuity in just serial storytelling there. And we get these gravestones here that don't look like anything like the gravestones you saw in another issue, and saw in another issue, saw in another issue. Can we just get a, a standard gravestone for these guys, please? <laughs> I really did, but, you know, even with that said, I really did enjoy the art here. Uh, Neil Edwards does a fantastic job, though his Alfred does look a tad on the spry side. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, uh... That getting maddened by fear is going to turn, you know, an, an old body into that of an Olympian who can, you know, sucker punch a Green Lantern. Um, but, you know, I did have fun with this. That's that's my point here. And I feel, as I suspected going into it, that this issue could be a really good gateway issue. If you were interested in getting to know these new Lanterns, but you weren't really sure where to start. Because, you know, Simon's... Simon first appeared back in Green Lantern Volume 4, 5, uh, whatever the New 52 uh, volume was, uh, number 0. And then Jessica showed up uh, in the uh, prelude to the Dark Side War. Uh, so, I mean, there is a little bit of history there if you did, didn't know where to start. And, you know, seeing them alongside Batman might be a good way to dip your toe in. So that's a, that's a good way to do it, I think. And so, you know, I uh, did my usual thing here. I posted it on the social medias, whatever social medias I happen to understand anyway. <laughs> and I, uh, and I was, I, I'm, you know, I still don't very get very much in the way of engagement. Uh, blogging, as, as said before and will be said again, is a lonely endeavor where uh, you're generally just speaking into the void or typing into the void. And any kind of engagement you get is, is welcome. And oddly enough... I did get a little bit of engagement on this uh, on this issue, and I wasn't expecting it. Um, you know, a lot of it was uh, praise for the cover. <laughs> uh, Charlton Hero thought it was a great cover. Uh, my buddy Dave Lavahog uh, thought it had a great cover too, but he also said, I loathed this book with every fiber of my being. Baz and Batman swapping spit over a gun. The only thing redeemable was that cover. I'd rather buy a poster. And I did get another tweet, but I... I didn't save it. I, I thought I screen-capped it, and I didn't. Uh, but to paraphrase, uh, th- this uh, this Twitter user said that they enjoyed the story despite the weird characterization, which is kind of where I fall on this. But uh, seeing that, you know, there is some negative uh, feelings toward this book, it made me stop and think, you know, why did I... Why did I give this book a pass? Because, like I said, I did have a problem with the characterization. I did have a problem with the dialogue. But why did I walk away from it feeling positive, you know? At the end of the day, I give it a recommendation, and it really made me think, why? <laughs> and uh, the only thing I can consider is that they mentioned Blackest Night. And uh, I wonder if that, like, dulled my more critical or analytical side. Um I don't know if it's enough where, you know, we've been beaten in the submission with the, uh, with the big lie, <laughs> you know, the big lie that continuity is bad. Um, it can be bad. It can be detrimental. It can be a crutch, but when used properly, it, it could enhance a story. And, uh, I think we're, we're at such a, we're at such a pivotal point in, in comic storytelling and comics, uh, marketing where, 
there is no room for the gray. You know, it has to be all or nothing. We have to be at one pole or the other. And uh, with a book like this, after being beaten in the submission, that continuity doesn't matter. Don't worry about what happened before. When we get a mention of Blackest Night, it, did it tickle me enough to where I just overlooked everything I didn't like about the book, you know? Uh, it's the weirdest thing. When you think about that, the, the, one, the one question I asked myself, which really put it into perspective for me. Now, if you've followed my site, you know that I don't give number scores. I, I don't believe in number scores. I, uh, though, you know, on sites where, uh, where I, they do employ number scores, I, you know, I work for who pays me, or, or better yet, I, I work for who will have me, because I don't get paid. Uh, I, I do the job for anyone who will have me. So if I'm on a site like Weird Science that does a number score, I'm going to play there, I'm going to play by their rules. You know, I'm going to put a number score there, but number scores to me, they're kind of worthless. Uh, because I could write... I could write a 10-paragraph review saying how much I hate a book and then give it a 10 out of 10 so I can get retweets, you know? I, it just seems like a very cheap way uh, to get noticed. And uh, I, I don't believe in that because I just think it's... If, if you want to be analytical, you do that in the review. Uh, a number score... I don't know. I think number scores... You could trade your intellectual, intellectual integrity or your analytical integrity for... Uh, for a professional retweet, uh, I think there, there's a lore to that, and I think that it's easy to do, and uh, not not really the way I'd like to do it. Uh, I, I think back to my early days on the internet. I uh, I'm a Usenet guy. Uh, <laughs> Usenet is where I came from. I loved Usenet. I still visit Usenet to choose their archives when I do some research from time to time. I, I think it's a great little resource and a wonderful time capsule to really get you into the gestalt of uh, how people felt when certain books were coming out, uh, when certain events were announced, uh, when certain creators came on board. I, th I think it's a, it's a great little place to check the pulse of the fandom at uh, you know any time between the early '80s up to the you know around the 2000s. And uh, I used to go there with regularity, still, still kind of do. And I, I'd read reviews as they were coming out. Uh, there were folks like uh, Randy Landa who had a, a weekly thing, and uh, but my favorite was uh, Paul O'Brien. Uh, every Sunday evening, he'd release the X Axis, which was an X Men, uh, primarily an X Men review. Uh, he'd have other stuff in little capsule form on the bottom, but uh, I'd look forward to those reviews and. Uh, and I would actually read the entire review. He did do a, a, a ranking or a grading metric. He would uh, grade things with a letter score like you'd get in school. And uh, I'll never forget, even back then, it seemed like people would, would check out his stuff just to see what the grades were. And I remember when Chris Claremont came back to the X-Books, instead of putting his grade at the bottom of his review, he started with, to save you, the, save you guys the scrolling, it's a B. And that kind of gave me the impression that folks will only look at a number score. I, I, I think that's compounded in any kind of consumable media here, like uh, video games, movies. People look at the, you know, the Rotten Tomato score. Instead of actually reading a review, they look at a, a number or a letter grade. And uh, I, I'm really going off on a tangent here, but uh, the point is, if I were to use a number score on this issue of Green Lanterns, or on these issues of Green Lanterns, would I have 
nudged it up because of the Blackest Night mention. And the thing of it is that's a little unnerving is I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm really not sure. Like, is this a 7 that I would have knocked up to an 8 because they mentioned Brightest Day? I mean, sorry, Blackest Night? It's just such a um, a weird thing to consider. Uh, It's a weird thing to think about. It's, uh, you know, a question I want to pose. Is this... Is this something that uh, that you see happening? Is this something you see would see happening in yourself if you were to review something? Now, before I go too much deeper, <laughs> let's go ahead and uh, get the second part of Darkest Nights out of the way here. This is Green Lanterns number 17, same cover month. This is, uh, you know, they were twice monthly, April 2017. Darkest Nights part 2, still written by Sam Humphreys, but with pencils by Eduardo Penseca. Inks by Julio Ferreira. Colors by Blonde, Led is Dave Shop, Assistant Editor Andrew Marino, Editor Mike Cotton, Group Editor Eddie Berganza, also has a $2.99 cover price. Now we pick up pretty much where we left off. Uh, we got the Scarecrow rambling about how much he loves and needs fear. He's still at the cubicle farm, of course. Uh, this does go on for about three pages. <laughs> Which, I guess if you picked Part 2 up without picking Part 1 up, it might help you out, but... If you read the last issue, you really don't need this. Uh, Three pages is quite a few pages to waste on this kind of a thing. Uh, Now, as we mentioned, last issue, a bunch of Gothamites in cubicles are watching these bad Batman videos online. Uh, We hop back to the Batcave where Batman is uh, watching as his butler, who is also infused with the fear, holds a gun up to the dome of Simon Baz. Batman leaps toward Alfred and spouts a precautionary post-hypnotic trigger phase, phrase to defuse the situation, which uh, might be up there with uh, that bat shark repellent in the list of very, very convenient remedies. Uh, this does bring Alfred back to normal, though he probably has a little bit of a headache. And uh, Batman glares at Simon for daring to bring that gun into his cave. Now, I get that Batman really can't get Baz to not carry when he's out in the world, but how did he let a gun come into the Batcave, right? You'd figure it's like, hey, if you want to come in, you got to put that gun aside. But uh, I guess if he didn't bring the gun in, we wouldn't have gotten our cliffhanger. So what are you going to do? Now, Batman doesn't even yell at Baz, which makes him feel even worse. This is kind of like a uh, when your parents are really mad at you and they, you know, they just look at you and tell you they're disappointed rather than screaming at you. And it's even worse <laughs> in that case. Now, but this this actually winds up being the only part of the partnership here that I'm actually digging. Uh, Simon spouts out that he only carries a gun because he's scared that the ring won't be good enough. Batman corrects him, claiming that Simon, deep down, doesn't think he's good enough. Which, uh, you know, is, is interesting to think about. Uh, then Simon and we look on while Batman does his thing, and it isn't long before he's deduced that these videos have all come from that one cubicle farm, or at least they have it in common. Now, after staking the place out for a bit, the heroes decide to make their move. Well, Batman decides, and the other two follow suit, because, you know, what are you going to do? Inside, they see the spooked cubicle farmers and their supervisor, the Scarecrow. Batman and the Scarecrow wrestle around for a bit, when the baddie turns his attention toward the lanterns. He fills them both with fear, which appears to be especially tough on Simon, which... I thought Jessica had, like, this crippling anxiety. I thought maybe fear would be worse on her, but we're only focusing on Simon today. Now, Simon must act, and naturally, his first instinct tells him to reach for his pistol. 
Uh, you know, he's scared that the ring will flake out on him even in the best of times. Uh, though he doesn't appear to have much of a problem letting it carry him through space. I, I don't know about you. I, I wouldn't. If I didn't trust a ring, I wouldn't go into the vacuum of space with it. Uh, but now that he's been infected with fear, he doubts the ring and himself even more. Batman calls out to him to fight his temptation and use the ring instead. And what do you know? He does. Simon uses the ring to take down the Scarecrow and his machine. Jessica wraps the baddie in a construct something or another until the police can arrive. Batman checks in with the folks who were watching the videos and he assures them that he's here to help. He's always here to help. We jump ahead to the crew closing out their mission atop the GCPD building with Commissioner Gordon. He thanks the Lanterns on behalf of the city, but tells them to get their weird rings out of there just as soon as possible. Which seems a little extreme, doesn't it? I mean, Gordon sees all these creepy Gotham things every single day, but a Green Lantern ring is, is too far. Uh, I don't know. Jessica wonders aloud what ought to happen to the Scarecrow, to, to old Dr. Crane there. Uh, Batman excuses the baddie's behavior by stating that he's an addict. He's an, he's an addict. He's addicted to fear, which seems a little bit off to me. I don't know. Uh, anywho, Simon uses this moment as an opportunity to announce that he's kicked the gun habit. He'll never carry again. He goes to hand his piece to Batman, who doesn't want it. <laughs> Gordon winds up taking it for him. Before parting company, Batman asks Baz to stick around for a minute. While he normally doesn't like lanterns, uh, you know, he and Hal never saw eye to eye, and, you know, Guy is a jerk at the, in the best of times, but he can see himself working alongside Simon again in the future. You know, Simon could be his go-to Green Lantern, and so he prepares him to be ready for that eventual call. Uh, has Batman, Batman has met Jon Stewart, right? I mean, Jon Stewart's a pretty level-headed dude, who I think would get along with Batman uh, during any continuity era, right? And also, I mean, Jessica, Jessica Cruz has been right there, and she's been nothing but helpful during this adventure, plus they've been on the Justice League together. Oh, boy. Uh, this feels like, uh, <laughs> this feels like Jerry Conway writing Firestorm levels of, uh, you know, veteran hero endorsement, where <laughs> everyone's like, hey, Firestorm's really great. It's kind of like, hey, Simon's really great. Uh, <laughs> either way, this is where we wrap up, and uh, we end by jumping into the next story arc where Simon and Jessica get yanked through space by a rather gaudy-looking guardian. Alrighty, so that was the two-part Green Lantern's Darkest Nights, and uh, despite having a little bit of fun with it during the uh, during the read and the reread, uh, I still walk away from it with a net positive, uh, which really makes me question my analytical integrity. Is this, uh... Is this because of the Blackest Night mention? I don't know. <laughs> because, I mean, the, the issue isn't... this. The story arc isn't perfect. It's really not even all that great. Um, it's procedural. Um, but I, I did walk away from it positive. <laughs> I don't know if I'm giving it a pass because it actually refers to something from pre-Flashpoint. But uh, I'm not sure. That's uh, kind of the question I want to pose is... Uh, is is something like this? Is, is this pre-Flashpoint bait? <laughs> is this Chris bait? I don't know. It really makes me question just how I how I receive things. Um, you know, I am I, the same moron who spent hundreds of dollars on Convergence back in 2015 because of the promise of pre-Flashpoint stories. I, I mean, I bought every single issue 
of that entire event. Uh, spent a ton of money on that and uh, <laughs> didn't get a whole lot out of it. But uh, I, I, I wonder if my desire for the pre-Flashpoint, you know, that level of comfort, you know, I think... I think that's something that we, uh, I think that's something that we're drawn to is our comfort zones uh, as it comes to comics. And uh, for me, you know, if we're looking at DC, comfort comes from pre-Flashpoint. You know, uh, everything's been just so nebulous since then, where we don't know what happened, when it happened, if it happened, if it once happened but didn't happen. The contradictions were just ridiculous. Uh, you know, don't don't ever forget though. The new Fifty Two was planned meticulously for years, right? That's that's what Dan DiDio said, right? But uh, it was just so nebulous, and uh, and it's weird that just like even just these breadcrumbs <laughs> saying that Blackest Night happened is enough for me to walk away from this with a positive uh, outlook on it. And it's funny because you know I'm not like. It would probably be the worst thing in the world to do, like, an all-new history of the DC Universe book, you know? It's, uh... It's... Because you know that it would just be... It would just be contradicted within months. With weeks. Whatever was in there would be contradicted. I mean, even the original one that came out post-Crisis was contradicted pretty quickly, pretty early on. Uh, these days, it's... I'm sure it'd be even worse. And then anybody who, you know, dares point it out will be mocked. Online by the professionals and and those fans who are desperately seeking their retweets, so <laughs> it'll be uh, it would be a bad thing to to have like an actual roadmap to let us know when and how everything happened. But uh, these breadcrumbs are sometimes all we get, and sometimes I guess they're enough uh, because as I mentioned earlier, you know we're all kind of we're all kind of been beaten into submission by the uh, the big lie uh, that continuity is a bad thing. You know, uh, I want to say that that the first time I can remember that was uh, during the Kevin Smith Daredevil run, um, because no one's going to tell Kevin Smith he can't write something. And what he wrote, he he killed Mysterio. And a uh, spoiler alert for a twenty-year-old story: he killed Mysterio. But that very same month, Mysterio was like the big bad in a uh, Spider-Man miniseries. It's like nobody would tell him no. And uh, anybody who pointed that out, uh, even on, on Usenet or back on the Alvaro, Alvaro <laughs> message boards, it was not, never about continuity anymore. It was like, well, what did you think of the story? And, and I, can, I can understand the logic in that, you know, because I, I think fandom generations are different now. Where uh, if you started in comics, you know, in the late 80s uh, or, or before that, it's much more likely that you stuck with the hobby. I think. I, I think it's. Uh, I think the prices, the the incremental prices. I think we kind of we kind of grew with those price increases, so we weren't necessarily scared off by the jumps in price. Uh, we've had continuity jump around from day one, so it's. Uh, I think we're more accustomed to uh, having the rug pulled out from under us, uh, being told you know everything we thought we knew was wrong, uh, where. Fans of today, or curious parties of today, might be uh, less receptive to such a thing. Where might might uh, see a four dollar comic and be like, Ew, you know, <laughs> just like any other normal person might. Uh, that you know isn't us. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think the generations have changed, so it does become more about story and less about continuity. And uh, while that isn't wrong, I, I do believe it is a little wrong headed. Um, you gotta figure, I mean, 
comics are kind of the only the only medium that we let get away with this kind of thing. You know, if this was to happen on a on a television show, a network television show where continuity was was wrong, um, people would be all over it. You know, people would be calling them out, and they wouldn't. They generally speaking probably wouldn't be mocked by the creators and uh, fans of said creators who really want the validation <laughs> from those creators. Uh, where nowadays it is in comics, it's a you know a continuity is a four letter word and. If you follow us uh, at the Cosmic Treadmill on, on Patreon, uh, I think continuity and uh, the, the hiccups that uh, continuity can cause will probably be a multi-part episode of Comics Talk somewhere in the offing. Uh, I'll, just have to, uh, I'll just have to talk to Reggie about that. I think that's something that uh, could be a lot of fun. Uh, it'll probably raise our anger a little bit, which uh, <laughs> we're trying to stay away from for that show. But uh, we've got this, uh, you know, this Kevin Smith story. Where he does what he wants to do, doesn't pay any attention to the rest of the uh, Marvel Universe, and no one calls him out on it. Uh, we jump ahead a few years and we have Civil War, where n- half the characters are not are acting out of character. I mean, we've had characters established for half a century, and they're suddenly acting in a, such a way to facilitate a story rather than serve continuity. That's when my Marvel zombie streak ended, because I realized that I cared more about these characters than the people writing them. I cared more about where they came from and their origins. Uh, I mean, this was not Jim Shooter's Marvel anymore, you know? The big lie continues because, as with the generations of fandom becoming smaller, the, the generations of editorial are growing. You know, coming into Marvel Comics especially, there seemed to be a new leader every couple of years, where when Quesada took over, he was there for a very long time. And... Uh, his way of uh, allowing these stories to, to happen without taking con- continuity into account, it just became the new normal. And uh, with so much cross-pollination between Marvel and DC, that made its way over to DC, where we don't know what, what way is up. Um, I couldn't tell you... You know, this, this book came out a year ago, a year and a half ago, or two years ago. And I still don't know if maybe Blackest Night has been taken out again. I don't know. <laughs> it's just the thing, which seems so silly, but it it's also the way it's been happening since 2011 at DC, where you pick and choose what continuity works, what continuity fits, and uh, it's all in service of the particular story that's being told right now, rather than the overarching character, the overarching lore of the story, it's, uh, it's strange times we're living in, <laughs> and, uh, and I, I, I really went on a tangent there, didn't I? But I, I do want to just pose the question here, is this, are these breadcrumbs sometimes enough to make us see something ordinary as extraordinary, see something middling as excelling? Because even even with the understanding, even with it in my head that I might be doing that, I, I still walk away from this happy. Um, did I just <laughs> really like the story and didn't want to like the story? That That's certainly a possibility. That's certainly a possibility. But I, I got to think that part of it has to do with the fact that they mentioned Blackest Night. And uh, that's, that's about it there. Uh, <laughs> I do want to jump over to another tweet I got from uh, Dave Schultz over at Lava Hog on Twitter. He says, after the second part I published, he says, 
You know my stance. With continuity kicking the bucket, fans get excited for slivers of the past brought back to see the light of day. Although in the grand scheme, we should temper our joy as any future writer could met it back out of existence. Headcanon is all that matters. And I think that there is logic to that. I think that that is a, a very good point that what matters is, at the end of the day, what matters is is your own continuity because uh, we're never, I don't think, I think the time where there is a cohesive continuity among a, a shared universe, I think those days are gone. I don't see us ever going back. Um, it would take some big changes uh, from the top down for something like that to happen and I, I just don't see it happening. So yes, headcanon is basically all that matters. If 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 we can work Black as Night into a story, that, you know, there we go. <laughs> it existed. Um, it's uh, it's it's just such a uh, it's such a strange time we're living in. And uh, I really wanted to share this one with you guys because uh, it made me uh, question what I do. Uh, I, I've been doing this. We're nearing our three year anniversary of daily reviews. And uh, here we are at the home stretch, and I'm uh, and now I'm second guessing a lot of my best reviews or discussion pieces, I should say. Uh, it's just very, very strange times, and uh, really uh, a lot of food for thought, uh, at least for me. Well, that's gonna do it. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can do so at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. We've got a Patreon, patreon.com slash Chris and Reggie, if you want to contribute to the uh, to the show. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash cosmicteamill. You can check us out on Twitter at cosmicteamill. You can find Reggie at Reggie Reggie, and I'm at Ace Comics. You can check out the archives over at now chrisandreggie.com. We are official. You can also check out the uh, site that this show is named after over at chrisisoninfiniteearth.com, and I'll link the original uh, reviews on the uh, show notes there. Uh, Now, if you uh, are familiar with that site, and if you have a book from that blog that you'd like me to discuss, definitely drop me a line. Or, if there's a book on there you'd like to come on and discuss with me, let me know. We'll uh, see what we can work out. I had a really good time visiting with you, despite my uh, rambly and raspy nature this time out. (laughs) Thank you so much for stopping by, and uh, so long for now. See ya.